All right, everyone, welcome to Heal Thyself episode number 12. We've done 12 shows, believe it or not, um, and it's gone fast. But guess what? People are downloading the show, people are subscribing, and uh, it's growing, and it's growing nicely. So I'm really happy, feel really blessed to be disseminating some great info, and hopefully that it's something that is applicable to everyone. Just moved to a new place in Venice, and I decided it'd be a good idea to talk about the importance of detoxing your home, or at least identifying the toxins in your home. So uh, I put together a show for you today so you know how to empower yourself and what to do about making your home toxin-free. Um, and uh, and this will be this will be a one part, and then we'll cover uh, a few shows later, other parts, but really I just want to talk about a few things. So why don't we get started and just get right into the knowledge bomb and let's go. All right, so moving into my new place, um, I, I wanted to start bringing up the importance of what they call volatile organic compounds, right? So before we moved in, I had mentioned to the homeowner that we want it repainted with low VOC paint. Why? Because paint is one of the major uh, contributors to home off-gassing. And when you think about it, and we have to think as a whole, right? We have paint, we have flooring, we have wallpaper, we have couches, beds, shower liners. All of that creates a compounded um, compounded exposure to these chemicals. And it's it's important because as adults, we're susceptible, 100%, because we see that in studies. But guess who's more susceptible? Children, infants. So what I'm going to do today is just talk a little bit about where they're found, what, what they are, and how to intervene, some take-homes. And then for the review segment, we'll go into um, some important interventions too. So Volatile organic compounds are basically high vapor pressure compounds. So at room temperature, they vaporize and they're regulated by the EPA. Uh, the EPA says our indoor quality has two to five times more volatile organic compounds than outdoor. But, but in some instances, it can go up to a thousand times more than is safe. So one of those instances, well, things like painting, things like bringing in a whole apartment full of furniture and opening it up from the packages in your home with the windows not open. We also know that during the winter, the VOCs in the home are three to four times higher than in the summer. Obvious, for obvious reasons, everything's closed up and the heat is on. Um, so other countries, uh, like always, than America are ahead of the curb. They actually have some regulations on VOCs, so they have certification. So people know. I mean, it's it's sort of it's sort of uh, in its infant stages still, but other countries are doing much better because they have the labeling. In the U.S., really, where California always is setting the standard for health, there's a U uh, the the United States California uh, labeling or the standard is what really people are following or manufacturers, but still there's nothing really, it's nothing like a stamp saying, oh, look, this has low, low VOCs. And it's, it's not like a USDA organic stamp, put it that way. Most susceptible are new buildings. So if you're moving to a new building, just know that you have to take extra precautions on making sure that your environment is important because look, our health is not just a function of internal environment, right? We, like what we're eating, but it's external environment, relationships with people. Okay. Yeah. I talk about that always, but guess what? 
What is our home environment like? What is our school or work environment like? We have to be aware of this because susceptibilities change in people. So what may come up as me as sinus infections persistently because of the exposures that I'm getting can come up for another person as bronchitis persistently. So New buildings are really important to pay attention to, the paints, the wallpaper, the furniture. You have things like plastics or PVC materials. Um, really, really, the one number one exposure is things like particle boards um, and, and wood. Uh, and I'll go into that a little bit later, but particle boards and wood, furniture, mattresses, as I mentioned, resin, arch uh, resin architectural finishes, mothballs, cocks, um, plug-in scents, dry clean materials. Dry cleaning is another major one because if we have all these chemicals going on in our house and then we're adding on dry cleaning well dr the dry cleaning chemical which i'll talk about a little later is something an another thing that um, could be causing adding to this toxic burden so so the most common pollutants that we see are formaldehyde and benzene these are known carcinogens then you have toluene xylene styrene limonene phthalates phthalate esters they're usually either hanging out in the air floating around or in the dust they're bound to the dust that's why it's so important to dust your home um, so the three highest risk factor chemicals in a place are as followed. Formaldehyde, as I mentioned, and this is usually in the particle boards, plasticizers of plastic materials like PVC, which you have in, let's say, shower curtains, and then uh, painting. Those are the three, the, the chemicals from painting. Those are the three biggest offenders for volatile organic compounds. So the number one by far is formaldehyde, formaldehyde-containing materials. And we see this in particle boards, press woods, plywoods, varnishes, paints, carpets, fabrics. And the compounds are released more regularly when it comes to moisture and heat. So the more hot of an environment, uh, or the more damp is going to increase the release of these compounds. What are they connected to? Asthma, chronic bronchitis, increased wheezing, decreased lung function, eczema. And we see in humans that even after 2.5 to three hours, just exposed into a formaldehyde-rich environment, there's already immediate changes to the pulmonary function. And then we have we have plasticizers and plastic materials. So that's the second most common one. And this is uh, connected to asthma, bronchial obstructions, increased phlegm, allergies, and eczema, and then paint. Paint's connected to wheezing, bronchitis, changes in pulmonary function, and allergies. Aside from these respiratory issues that I mentioned, we do see that these volatile organic compounds also have alterations in our immune system, increases in food sensitivity, um, cleaning supplies, what they found also, they had a dose response uh, to child allergies, uh, allergies a dose-dependent response to child allergies. So meaning the more cleaning supplies that are toxic that you use in your home, the more that we see childhood allergies. That's pretty crazy. Uh, also damages to liver, kidney, and central nervous system. So some... Some of these compounds have been shown to cause cancer in animals. If you'll remember, I said formaldehyde and benzene, those are known carcinogens. Uh, we do see them causing uh, cancer in animals and suspected to be in humans, uh, leukemia and lymphoma in particular, but other cancers. Um, so the long-term cumulative exposure is what we got to pay attention to because sure, you bring a kid to a friend, a brand new apartment, um, newly built, newly renovated, fresh out of the plastic, they might express some symptoms, but let's think about long-term exposures. Nowadays, kids are inside way more than they were when I was young. I was on my bike riding around doing wheelies, jumping in pools, and staying outside. A lot of time now, these kids are on their video games, on their iPad, watching Netflix, this and that. So think about the exposure they're having indoors 
cumulatively over time? What ways can we reduce this? Let's, let's, let's get into that. Um, first and foremost, there are some materials that are low or no VOCs, like paints, for example. As I mentioned, I use that sort of paint in my new apartment. Uh, I use low VOC paint. Okay, off-gassing. If you're getting a new couch, bring it outside, leave it outside, unwrap it outside, let it off-gas. If you're getting a new bed, bring it outside, leave it outside, let it off-gas. Take a day. It, it doesn't even have to be. If it's going to rain, then, then bring it in. But just try to keep it outside such that when you breathe it, take a, take a whiff of it, it doesn't smell as strong as it used to. That's so important because that off-gassing it it's, it's in a closed environment is going to be causing a lot of issues and compounding in your home. If you're building a home, focus on ventilation. Ventilation is so important. You want good airflow going from front door to back door to, to all the rooms. The airflow is so important. Um, avoiding pesticides near home. Be aware if people are using pesticides around your home, that's adding to the toxic burden. Um, clean home cleaning. I'm going to do a whole show on, on alternative cleaning supplies, not named bleach, uh, or any other, whatever else is, is being used. So, um, and also read the label correctly, because if you're supposed to use this material or open this material in a well-ventilated area, then, then do it because there's a reason they're saying that. Um, and any residual materials, make sure you're removing them and they're not just hanging out in your home or in your garage, just off-gassing continuously, continuously out of the garage into your home and make sure you call um, your local government or, or whatever regulating authority to remove it properly. Buy only as much as you need. So if you have all this gas that you want to use for a lawnmower, use enough to fill up the lawnmower and then go back. It's going to be long-term something helpful, especially if you have kids. Um, don't uh, accept dry cleaning goods if they stink like chemicals because we know that, that you're bringing that to your home and there's a chemical called perchloroethylene and that's connected to cancer in animals. And I do that on my cancer patients and I found that those who use dry cleaning have really high levels. Ain't that crazy? And one of my favorite interventions, pretty cheap, pretty easy, is utilizing the NASA studied plants, NASA. Um, yeah, like space. They did a study on plants that purify the air, in particular, these really, really potent VOCs like formaldehyde and benzene and other ones I mentioned are cleared pretty effectively by these plants. So go online, type in NASA plants, NASA plant study, go to the images or go to one of the web pages and see which ones are listed. Um, I have four of them in my home. Um, well, three. Um, and I'm, I want to get another one. So at least try to put a plant in every room, maybe two plants in every room. You don't have to make it a jungle, but you know, be 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 liberal with it. Put some plants and make sure that they're clean, especially in high ga high uh, off gassing areas. If you live in a home with all this stuff, that doesn't mean throw away all your furniture. That doesn't mean throw away everything, but take it slow and know that if you're buying new things, let it off gas. There's actually companies out there, which I'm going to do a whole show on choosing furniture and bed and how to bring them in. Um, but there's companies out there that are doing really well and, and removing off-gassing and using safer materials for bedding and furniture and whatever else. So do some research. You'll find it um, until I speak about it. And, and, uh, and I'm going to really speak about my favorite ones. Get your plants. And yeah, take these, take these recommendations into, uh, into your life. Detox your home, especially if you have children with allergies. Think about it. Think about it. If your doctor isn't bringing home what the environment is at, bringing telling you what the environment is at home and your child suffering from chronic allergies or chronic eczema or chronic bronchitis, chronic sinusitis, then it's time to think about what's in your home and the home exposure. With that said, why don't we flow right into the product review? 
Okay, so this product review, not much of a review as much as it is just an educational teaching, uh, is about air filters. Why not? I mean, look, I just spoke about volatile organic compounds, but that's only one part of what air filters do. They remove bacteria, viruses, other allergens, pet dander, mold, which is one of the biggest things, especially in my experience, um, and and that's so many shows that are coming up on mold. But yeah, back to this. So important to have an air filter in your house, especially living in Los Angeles. The air is crap. You need an air filter. So I want to speak about different price points and different things that air filters do. Look, if you don't have an air filter, having any air filter is already better than better than whatever. Um, and there's there's a range and spectrum based on what they do and how sophisticated and how and what they do for cleaning the air. Okay, at at the very least, start getting in an air filter to your home and and make that intervention. So, you for the most part, almost all uh, air filters are HEPA filters, and this is high efficiency particle absorber. That's what it stands for, and it's said to remove 99.5 to 99.7 percent of all particles at a certain size. The size is 0.3 micrometers. So all those small particles that you don't see in the air are getting eaten up by these guys. And that's small. That's just, that's that's really small. That's tiny. Uh, and as I mentioned, even odor mold, pollen, allergies, bacteria, viruses, VOCs, dust mites, debris, pollen, pet dander. Okay. It kind of works like a sieve and it sucks up these, these particles and it just keeps them there. Most of them have a UV light. And when you activate that UV light, it usually kills these particles via different, very, uh, a very uh, interesting reaction. But regardless, I have personally two, um, but in my home, we will be having two more, so four, but it's a big home. Um, the, the, they all range in price points and they all range on what they do. In my room, I have two. In particularly right now, they're going almost 24 seven, give them a little breaks, but I have one called the Germ Guardian. The Germ Guardian is a cheaper, more affordable one. Um, it's set at about from 100 to like 180 different models. But they're, they're pretty good for what they do. They don't cover a huge space. So they'll be really good for, say, under 200 square feet. They use HEPA and UV, and they kill a lot of the aforementioned materials that I, that I was talking about. Okay, so Germ Guardian, wonder, wonderful one for what it is. It's at a lower price point. Not the best of the best, but still it's going to cover an area, let's say, if you have a, a dorm room or a small room that you want to keep it or just bring it by your bedside. Wonderful. I like that one. The other one that I want to bring up, which is a much higher price point, but is a really good one, one of the best or two, uh, are the Air Doctor and IQ Air. Air Doctor and IQ Air, a lot of um, physicians get behind the Air Doctor in particular, but IQ Air is another good one. They're very similar. They use something called Ultra HEPA. So the, the difference between the one I just mentioned and these is that there's different sizes to these particles, right? So um, an odor or a, a, like pollen versus mold, mold tends to be bigger, whereas viruses tend to be smaller. So for the air doctor and IQ air, the nice thing is this, look, germ guardian, as I mentioned, uh, kills particles or destroys particles at 0.3 micrometers. 
but the Air Doctor and IQ Air is 0.003 micrometers. And this is important because viruses and other particles are smaller, uh, more towards this size, whereas the Germ Guardian theoretically could let these guys just flow right through. Okay, um, they also have a formaldehyde and VOC filter, which is really cool, because I mem remember I said formaldehyde is one of the number one VOCs that we're being exposed to. Another cool um, aspect of this, especially with the Air Doctor, is that it has an alert that will uh, sound when it's exposed to higher than normal amounts of VOCs, and then it'll up its purification process to clean up the air. So I like that. I don't have one. Actually, we do have one. Yeah, my friend is bringing one up, so I do have one now that I think about it. Um, but I have the Molecule. Molecule uses Pico technology, and that's a little bit different than HEPA because the way that it's set up, it's less of a sieve and more just tangled fibers that uh, catch these uh, particles, and it's point three micrometers, so not as, uh, they're bigger than the Air Doctor, but it, it has independent studies behind it that show that pretty much it can get rid of all of these VOCs and viruses. So that's really cool. I, obviously, I love looking at studies to show me that it's as powerful as they say it does, and it's, it, it's broad spectrum, meaning that peak, uh, the, the molecule for the PICO technology just gets rid of everything in like a paintbrush stroke. And it uses this proprietary technology where uh, it creates uh, a, a particle that destroys it, that other air purifiers aren't using. Okay, really cool. Um, about the same price point as the Air Doctor and IQ Air. So it was just for me uh, an issue of choice. Regardless, I would have gotten the other one too. Um, yeah, so that one also has a formaldehyde and VOC filter. So the whole point is this, look, if you have a home especially if it's brand new. If you're using conventional cleaners and not really in the know of how to make interventions for materials in your house, then it's time to get an air filter. It's gonna be really important, especially if you have a child suffering from allergies and whatnot. So get that in there. Start with a lower price point one and then save up and get a really good one with, with more capacity for bigger rooms so you can at least have two in your home, right? And as I mentioned, Germ Guardian is a wonderful one to start off with. And then maybe think about getting an IQ Air or Air Doctor or a Molecule to have um, stronger, uh, much stronger purification process. Really easy, um, really cool, but really important. No one talks about air quality. Does your doctor talk about air quality? It's so important to talk about this because like I said, it's connected to so many things, even outside of the respiratory system. So uh, I really hope that helped. You can just go online and Google these. It's so it's so easy and they, they give really good information on every one of the websites and they have friendly customer service. So yeah, research more and feel free to ask me. I will try to get to it. And why don't we just bring in the guest? The guest is awesome. Um, so yeah, we're going to bring her in and uh, move to the next segment. All right, everyone, it's time for our special guest. This is an awesome guest. We met about two months ago, really connected, same values, same alignment, going to bring a lot of value to all of us. Maria Marlowe, integrative nutrition health coach and all-time extraordinaire of everything. <laughs> well, that's quite an intro. I try to give the best intros to the guests because um, it's it's a blessing to have everyone coming in here because they're ex they have expertise in everything that they're embracing and they just... It's, it's an awesome thing to have people here. So that's why they deserve the best intro. Well, thank you for having me. You're here in LA. 
I'm so excited. This is my favorite city. It is. You have all the farmers markets. You have sunshine, although it is a little gray yeah. since I've been here. It's been gray, but you're from New York. Yeah, so it's still better. Yeah. <laughs> so can you tell me? Because look, I used to live in New York, and now I live here. Mm -hmm. But what is your favorite thing in LA? that New York doesn't have? Definitely the farmer's markets. The Wednesday Santa Monica farmer's market is just, you can find so many amazing things there that you'll never find in a grocery store and you'll never find on the East Coast, like mulberries, mm -hmm. fresh mulberries, mm -hmm. which you can get right now. They do sell out very quickly here. So you got to go early. But that is something I've been looking forward to. And you found them. I did find them. That's yes. amazing. Yes. And in New York, the farmer's markets aren't as robust, you're saying? The Union Square farmer's market is. Mm -hmm. I bet that one. Yeah, it's it's, nice it's great, and I do love the New York farmers markets. It's just that here you have so much more variety because the weather is better. Yeah. So yeah. New York, where we only have so much. Yeah, I have a confession. I never went to the Santa Monica. <gasps> no. no. Yeah, and, and I've you been live here. In Santa Monica. No, well, no. Venice. Okay. But I haven't even. Close I didn't enough. even go. The Wednesday one. The is Wednesday the best one. one. It's okay. Big. Okay, so Wednesdays, maybe take off work and just go there and spend a whole day. Yeah, it opens at 8, so you could even go before work. So no excuse, basically. You're holding yeah. me accountable. Yes. So you, and now you're in Dubai. Yes, I recently moved to Dubai, which is really interesting because they're just starting to get into the whole health and wellness scene, mm -hmm. starting really with fitness and exercise, and they're starting to get into the nutrition side of things. Is that how usually you would think that the progression is for like an awakening in health for a different cultures, societies, locations. Is that how it goes? Well, I think that there is this like this idea that if you want to get healthy, you have to exercise, which is true. Exercise is a part of a healthy lifestyle. But for weight loss, for example, everyone thinks, okay, I just need to burn more calories than I'm taking in. So exercise is usually that first entry into a healthier lifestyle. The problem is exercise is really good only for toning, not only for toning up, it's great for our immune system, it's great mm -hmm. for our mood, it's great for so many things, but weight loss is actually not one of them. Mm -hmm. And that's really where the nutrition part comes in. Yeah. And so much, oh man, I heard a quote a long time ago about weight loss that how much of that is made in the kitchen. Like that, in, that uh, intervention is the key. And it sounds so rudimentary for people, but it's so true, right? Um, and it's an antiquated way of thinking we can go to the gym and just do treadmill, and then eat like crap the rest of the week. Um, and and I'm glad that people are becoming awake into this. Yeah, I think it's an idea that's perpetuated by the junk food industry, that mm -hmm. you could eat whatever you want as long as you burn it off, or yeah. that all calories are created equal, mm -hmm. because they're not. And just thinking about it from a common sense perspective, 100 calories of cookies is not going to do the same thing to your body as 100 calories of avocado mm -hmm. or broccoli. And so we really need to be looking at the quality of our calories versus just the quantity. That's reductionist. And I've gotten into it on Instagram for people who are so reductionist. I was like, you can't say this to people, right? Because they, it's putting an idea in their mind that they can approach health and wellness um, in such a way as long as they keep it under X amount of calories. Sure, I can eat cookies, Twinkies, and a burger today and call it a day without I'm taking no account into phytonutrients fiber how about fiber 
you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. How, how big is fiber in, in just healing and health and oh everything? Oh my God, it's everything. And people, you know, I, I'm doing a post on how much, like what a plate looks like, what people think is the amount of vegetables they're supposed to have on their plate, which is like this yeah. much, versus how much you're actually supposed to have on yeah. your plate. Like it really should be at least 50% of your plate. Yeah. And usually vegetables are the side dish yeah. where we really need to reverse that and vegetables need to be thought of more as the main dish in mm-hmm. terms of quantity and our protein and animal products are more more everything else dish. yeah and that that was me growing up like latin family you have a, a giant steak which is 75 percent of it you know maybe a little mashed potatoes or something and then yeah. like some broccoli that fits in the in your hand mm-hmm. when we know that whatever you're choosing as a protein maybe should be as big as the palm of your hand but be laying on a bed of greens or whatever it is, the rainbow color. Right. And I always joke when you go to a restaurant, typically they're giving you double, sometimes even triple the serving size for mm. animal protein. And then they'll put like a little sprinkle of parsley yeah. on it or I, like two Maybe a cilantro. Leaves. Yeah. yeah. Like, like a little sprinkle too. Yeah. When you're eating out, you definitely need to order sides or order salads, yeah. appetizers, things like that to make sure you're hitting that veggie quota. And we go back on the fiber. How important the fiber is, is for not only just pooping regularly, but really feeding your gut bacteria. And we know the importance of that and, and di- your, all, your whole digestive system when it comes to your health as a whole. So I, I think that's so important that you bring that up. I can't wait to see that post, actually. Yes. That's going to be, soon. you know, visuals on Instagram blow people away. They're like, oh, okay, this is how I should be, you know? Instead of writing it, I, I think you're really good at your visuals on your page. Well, yeah, because we many of us are visual learners, and it's a lot easier when we can see see something versus just reading it. That's what I like about your page is it's very, look, this is visually how to learn and how to incorporate that. Um, one thing that was very visual and helpful for people was your guide mm-hmm. that helped a lot of people, right? Yeah, the Can Real you... Food Grocery Guide. Yeah, okay, so you guys need to get this, and here's why. Yes, Tell us. so I always wanted to write a book, but I never thought I'd write a book about the grocery store, mm-hmm. and it really came very organically. So I've been health coaching in New York City for over five years, and I was coaching clients one-on-one, doing group classes, and I started offering a grocery store tour to people. I didn't expect it to become as popular as it did, but I would have one person come on it and then the next day two of their friends would call me and would want to go on it. And then I had it written up in different magazines and press and I was like, okay, wow, I guess people are really interested in this and they're learning a lot, so let me turn it into a book. And that's what the Real Food Grocery Guide is. I wanted wanted it to be a very practical guide to choosing the healthiest foods. So each chapter I walk the readers through a different aisle of the grocery store, like produce, your animal proteins, Mm -hmm. meat or seafood, packaged products, and explain exactly what you want to look for, what the health benefits are, what the concerns are, what you Mm -hmm. want to avoid, what all the buzzwords mean. There's a lot of greenwashing, for example. So it's really a very practical guide to choosing the healthiest foods. My goal was that I wanted to take away the overwhelm and confusion that comes in the grocery store so that was really the the goal of the book. A lot. And you know, people yeah. freak out when I'm on uh, Instagram and I put a story about something in the grocery store, like I'm in an aisle and they'd be like, oh my God, can you teach us what this means? What? Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, I didn't, until I learned about your guide, I didn't know that there was anything out there really like that because there's not. There's not. That's exactly it. So there's all different books about health and diets and things like that. But this is not telling you to eat one diet. This is 
really teaching you how to eat whole real food. Like I grew up only on packaged foods. So yeah. taking things out of the freezer, going to McDonald's, yeah. eating pizza. And my mom hated cooking. Like to her, cooking was a chore. Mm. So we always ordered takeout or we always went out to eat. When I got to college and eventually started to having like having to go grocery shopping myself, I was like, I don't even know what half of this stuff is. Like, I don't know what cilantro is. I don't know what scallions are. Like, I had to teach myself all of this. And then how do you choose the ripest one? How do you choose the most nutritious Mm. one? And yeah, I mean, nobody really teaches us how to eat. Yeah. So I wanted this guide to be like the ultimate guide to choosing the healthiest foods. And it's practical, right? So they, they can apply it tomorrow like bring it learn it and then just go yes exactly and you could read it cover to cover or you could just say okay i want to buy some seafood how do i make sure i'm buying the healthiest seafood that's going to actually support my health and not take away from it yeah what a handy guy really because and isn't it so interesting because look when you're in the health field for quite a while you sort of lose sight and just think that everyone knows this right i remember when i came out of school i was like what do you mean people don't know about organic or what do you mean people don't know what a gmo is um and it takes a while to understand that it's not out there. People, it, when it's not taught, absolutely, you know, certainly not taught in school. So having support and making it practical, and that's what, what it's all about, at least from my side, making things practical and for your right. guide. So people being able to go to the grocery store and go. And do it. Yeah. yeah, I wish, like my goal is to have this required reading in schools. Mm-hmm. And I have went in New York City. I've went to different public schools because I work with a few different organizations that teach kids about healthy eating. And I would love to have it as part of the curriculum because it's it's really so powerful and so helpful. Yeah, yeah, it should be because... If I was in eighth grade and I knew how to shop for stuff, it would have helped me a lot in college when I was like, in your situation, I was like, well, you know, what's a rutabaga? What does that do? (laughs) Horseradish. I ain't never seen something like this, you know? Right. And, and, um, you know, thanks for making that. Totally. Yeah. And even just knowing uh, is frozen produce okay? Or yeah, do I have to buy organic or how do you save money on healthy food? Because I feel like that's the biggest pushback that people have against healthy food is that it's too expensive, Mm -hmm. but really it's more expensive not to eat the healthy food with all the health repercussions that are going to come down the line. And really I, I, don't spend a lot of money on healthy food. Like I buy all organic. I cook mm-hmm. majority of my meals and I spend way less than any of my friends who are eating out. Yeah. Same, same thing. Yeah. You can, you can absolutely make it practical enough such that you're buying and even the clean 15, dirty dozen, right? Mm-hmm. Which is even more practical because you know exactly what foods need to be organic based on pesticide spraying. Um, whereas like something like a, like a watermelon or something, you don't need to get right. it. But, um, Still, you can make it work. Nowadays, especially I've noticed since Whole Foods got bought out by Amazon, it, my my total bill was a lot cheaper than it used to be. Yeah. Um, so it's more accessible now. For sure. Yeah. And I think f- frozen produce is a great way. You can buy like organic blueberries or organic fruit if you're throwing them into a smoothie. They're about 30% cheaper than yeah. if you buy fresh. Frozen seafood also, you could get wild seafood. So here's a little interesting tip. Most seafood that you see fresh and ready to buy at the seafood counter at your grocery store was previously frozen. They Mm. just thawed it. Mm. So you can actually buy it frozen from Whole Foods or from your health food store, and it will be cheaper, again, about 30% cheaper, and it'll actually last longer. You could keep it in your freezer until you're ready to use it. Who knew that? Yeah, so... I didn't, that's that's a tip that uh, I didn't know. uh Uh-huh, and then one other tip that will save you so much money is I buy all of my dry and, uh, like, packaged products, like spices and oils, 
Kohl's, those kinds of things, on Vitacost.com uh, because they don't have a physical location. It's an online store. Yeah. It's 25 to 50% cheaper than Whole Foods or any health food store for all the same brands. Oils and spices. Oils, spices. If you want like any gluten-free snack foods or, um, you know, gluten-free flours, like anything. Basically, like chips too and whatnot? They would have chips. They oh, would literally have anything. Mm, you see, I learn something every day. That's non-perishable, yeah. yeah. I wish I knew this before I was at Whole Foods yesterday buying <laughs> oregano, cilantro, oh, yeah. paprika. I, oh, get, I went in. I get all the Simply Organic spices yeah. from there. My, my spice cabinet is like just overflowing with yeah. everything. Yeah, so I love this conversation because I love food medicine. Mm-hmm. It is the first intervention I make with people, right? And at least naturopathically, our philosophy is to give the body what it needs and remove the obstacles to healing. Because there's the innate intelligence. Like when you cut your knee, your, your knee or your body knows how to heal that knee. So removing all that. But food is such medicine, right? It, it gives information to our genes on how to express themselves. What food is something that you find is so healing to people immediately once, once like, it doesn't, you could just talk about anyone. Just mm-hmm. what intervention do you find that people are like, oh, I feel so much better after eating this? I think dark leafy greens. Yeah. I think dark leafy greens are one of the most nutritious foods that we can add to our diet. And they're also the one that is chronically missing from most, like the average diet. Mm-hmm. They're just so healing. They're so high in antioxidants. They're um, a good source of fiber, vitamins, minerals. They have calcium, magnesium, yeah. right? Which people don't realize that dark leafy greens are actually a great source of calcium, for example. Yeah. And magnesium, which a lot of people are deficient in. Most people. Yeah. Deficient in magnesium. It's crazy. So I think anything like arugula, chard, kale, uh, there's just so many. Uh, spinach. Yeah. And you can rotate them. So what I like to recommend to people is make sure you're eating your dark leafy greens every single day, but rotate them. Don't be eating kale just every single day. Day, yeah. You know, make sure that you're getting the variety in to make sure that you're getting the whole spectrum of nutrients and antioxidants. I love that. And, you know, I, I mix it up. I try to, yeah. if it, sometimes it's hard for me to eat personally raw, raw food. Yeah. So, so sometimes I have to cook it. Um, but man, I'll put it into a smoothie. I'll put it into a juice. It doesn't matter. Like as soon as, long as I'm getting chlorophyll, vitamins, minerals, fiber yeah. in any single way, I'm just like, oh, come inside of me. I'll, I'll eat yeah. it all up, you know? Yeah. And my favorite way to cook greens. So I actually prefer, prefer cooked food as well. And I think that it's perfectly fine um, to, to have your greens cooked. Mm-hmm. There's not a problem with that at all. So what I usually do is I just saute a little bit of garlic and onions and some spices with oil. Then I add beans or add some source of protein um, and, and then the greens. And then I just cook that all up. It's literally ready in about seven minutes. Yeah. And it's so delicious. Yeah. Uh, so I that's like, like beans and greens. Easy so, interventions. Yeah. Now, for your clients, are you still working with clients one-on-one? I do a little bit of one-on-one. I focus now more on my group program, mm-hmm. um, which is very similar to one-on-one, but it's in a group setting so that um, I feel like people learn from each other and having that extra support system and accountability is even more helpful. We're inherently social beings, so having community aspect is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you help more people, right? That yeah. th- That's sort of where I'm straying too. It's like one-on-one is wonderful and you can help change a life, but having a wide net cast for these people is so important too. When you see your peers doing something or making progress, sometimes it resonates with you differently than me telling you what to do. Yeah. So it's it's really helpful to have that group energy. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe in that. Um, so look, you have a story that we need to know about, right? Yeah. So um, why don't you share with the viewers and listeners about what 
your story is. Sure. So as I mentioned, I grew up very unhealthy, standard American diet, all processed foods, all fast food. And I come from a family where obesity and chronic illness are the norm, not the exception. So for me, it was normal, like being overweight or getting sick, like it was just a part of life in my family. And as I got older, like in my teens, about 16 years old, I started getting acne really bad. Now, mind you, I had other health problems. I had digestive problems. I was sick all of the time. My immune system was crap. But when I started getting acne, that's when I started to care because I'm in high school now, right? And it drove me crazy because I had tried everything to make it go away, starting with clear silm, over-the-counter things. I tried proactive. I then went to different dermatologists who would prescribe me prescription medications. Eventually, they would prescribe me Accutane, which comes with the side effect of severe depression, which could lead to suicide. Mm. So I was about to, I filled the prescription, but then I read that side effect and I was like, I'm already morbidly depressed <laughs> and I'm crying about my skin every day. So it's probably not a great idea yeah. to take this. And this was before I was like into, you know, any mm -hmm. health and wellness and stuff. It just felt off to me. It didn't feel right. So for a long time, I was just relegated to the fact that I was cursed with acne because no one else had a good answer for me. Fast forward, I got to college. I was sitting having my typical lunch, which was a slice of pizza, soda, and Entman's chocolate chip cookies. Oh, you were really <laughs> eating standard American oh, diet. Yeah. Okay, you were yeah. in there. All right. And my friend at the time, I think I was complaining about my skin. And she's like, you know, it might be, your acne might be caused by what you're eating. Mind-blowing. Yeah, I was like, really? I mean, I've been to multiple dermatologists, and not one of them have ever asked me what I was eating. But I was so desperate. I was like, okay, fine. Like, let me, let me look into it. Let me learn more. So I bought a book on the connection between food and diet. Drastically changed my diet. Mm -hmm. And then, lo and behold, my skin cleared up. How long did it take, would you say? So it probably took to get like super clear two, two months, maybe two or three wow. months. But here's the thing. So once my skin cleared up, I was like, wow, what a coincidence. What a miracle from God. My skin finally cleared up. Now I can go back to eating my oh, pizza and chocolate chip cookies really? and all that stuff. So I went back to eating it. And uh -huh. of course, my skin broke out instantaneously and then overnight. And then I knew. And then for me to be able to see in the mirror how food was affecting my skin, my face, so clearly, like literally within 24 hours, my mm -hmm. skin would break out if I ate something. Whereas then if I ate something anti-inflammatory like turmeric, for example, or flax seeds, my, my bumps would go down, the redness would go down. Yeah. That is what got me interested in nutrition and got me going down this whole nutrition rabbit hole because I realized if food is powerful enough to do this to our skin, what else is it doing to our body? Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. And, and that's not the first time. I mean, and your expression of that imbalance was in the skin. But imagine some people have it in the digestive system, right? Some people have it in the joints, wherever it is. Um, and to see how powerful, look, all your life, pretty much, or, you know, your teenage years and up. And then in two months, your body reacted after all your life. And how amazing it is to have that connection. Let me, have, let me go back to eating how I was eating. Oh, look at my face. Yep. That mu you must have blown your mind. It was. It was absolutely mind-blowing. It was a whole new way of looking at the world. And I had to like really teach myself how to eat again because I was not used to eating 
quote unquote healthy foods. And first of all, I also thought that healthy food was just salad, mm -hmm. which is a big misconception that people have. Like sure. When you start eating healthy and real food, you don't have to subsist off salad. And in fact, you never even have to eat a salad. Like yeah. you can eat cooked vegetables yeah. and still get everything that you need. All right. So let's say someone is transitioning. Mm -hmm. What are, what are like just bullet point tips that they should have to make a transition because there's a lot of listeners who are still eating the standard American diet mm -hmm. or just like in your case had no idea yeah. and they've been uh, pediatricians um, family physicians never mentioning food yeah which actually drives me crazy as a doctor because you can imagine I know it, it's just what where did it, but you know there's only 23.9 hours of nutrition in I med know. school I know. Isn't that crazy? It is. It's also so interesting when you compare Western medicine to Eastern medicine, like Ayurveda or traditional Chinese medicine. When you go to one of these doctors, and they do train, you know, just as long, mm -hmm. if not longer than mm -hmm. the Western doctors, they're going to write you a prescription for your diet. Yeah. For changing your food yeah. before they're going to write something to, to take a medication. Yeah. And, and it's, it's pretty interesting. We had a plant-based doctor, Dr. Vivian here, mm -hmm. um, and she's pretty amazing. But she had mentioned when she was in England practicing as a doctor, she, when it hit her that uh, a lot of the uh, issues that her children were suffering with were connected to food but never mentioned, it was very painful for her because she... It's hard for uh, physicians to go through school, graduate, get into the system, and then go, oh, man, I don't even know anything about nutrition. Do I need to go back to school? That's a very painful transition, she said, for her to make. But um, it can you can imagine this I is the system imagine. that we're in because now people aren't empowered. They go to the doctor and they have no idea what to do. Right. And that's why I think it's so awesome to see that more and more doctors are working in tandem with health coaches as well to help with that diet and lifestyle piece because... Yeah it plays such a huge role in our health. Yeah. And if you're just going to the doctor once a year, like you, it's the, the time in between your doctor's appointments yeah. that's going to make the most impact on your health. Yeah, and that's, that's the power of... I, I, I work with some health coaches because they hold accountability, right? They, they can go, hey, let's, let's talk. We need to talk. And, mm -hmm. and they're, they're, an awesome, uh, they're an awesome way for people to actually stay on something and the, the results are seen quickly, you know, and they can, they can talk. Exactly. It's just amazing and, um, the power of that. Yeah. And health coaches can give guidance and really help you figure out the best diet for you yeah. because there's not one diet that fits all. Mm -hmm. There's definitely similarities across the board in terms of a healing diet. Like plants? Like plants, <laughs> mostly plants, no or very limited processed and refined foods, yeah. uh, no sugar, right? So there's a lot of similarities, but the exact makeup of, of you know, plants to, to animals and things like that, that might vary a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but also quality. So uh, to get back to your question earlier, I think uh, in terms of the tips in order to, if you're transitioning to a healthier diet, so number one, I would say always aim to make your plate at least 50% vegetables at as many meals as you can. Uh, another tip would be when you are choosing protein, if you're having animal protein, quality is key. You really, that's where organic, grass-fed, wild, that's where the, these things really mean something and they're really important because organic meat is very different than conventional meat. Uh, so I would say those are two things, making sure you're drinking water, getting rid of any sweetened beverages, um, yeah. iced teas, and even like things that diet soda, sometimes people 
think that's a really healthy alternative. It's actually not. Mm-hmm. Um, so sticking to water, I'd say those are probably the top three. Yeah. How quick, because look, if you're getting off of like high sugar fruit juices, high sugar sodas, that makes a quick difference because what do you have? Like 30 milligrams of, or 30 grams of sugar in there, mm-hmm. uh, in just a small can. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot more than we need in a day. Oh, right. Um, so, and I've seen it from people standard American diet. They cut off. They start losing weight immediately. Like, right I have away. No idea. Yep. And our taste buds acclimate to the sugar, so it's not even that sweet after a while. But if you give me like an orange soda, I can't even sip it. You'll spit so it out. Yeah, spit even it out. with chocolate, like I remember, I used to eat regular milk chocolate, and then I started going more towards dark chocolate. And then once I got to used to dark chocolate, milk chocolate is so sickeningly sweet. Like yeah. I couldn't even, like yeah. can't even touch it. You yeah. Know? So I think that's helpful for people making a transition because they can know that their taste buds like acclimate over time. Mm-hmm. Right. So you may not like the taste of kale. Right now. Right now, if you're eating pizza mm-hmm. and Timmins cookies yeah. and, and soda, but, but it acclimates. Right. right. And eventually, you know, I had one client, Jenny, who I'll never forget. She was telling the story of how she was really upset about something. And usually when she was upset, she would like, you know, go eat sweets and junk food and stuff. And she's like, and I was sitting on my bed with a stalk of kale and I was just eating the kale and I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> you know, so you're, you don't realize it, but your, your taste buds definitely will change over time mm-hmm. and you'll start to even crave the healthy food and not even want the unhealthy stuff. Once you realize how the unhealthy food is actually making you feel, you're not going to want it anymore. Yeah, just like you. It, it reflected on acne. your skin. But mm-hmm. again, some people may not be able to go to the bathroom if they go back to eating healthy food. And then, like you said, it's a, it's a matter of like, oh, no, this is my quality of life. And it's shifting and changing because of this. So that's that's pretty powerful realizations. Yeah. I want everyone to realize it. Yeah. You know, so what I, you mentioned before, calorie is, is not all calories are created equal. And I, I mentioned before that I get into it. I'm like, you can't tell people this. Um, what, what, what do you find in the clients that are coming to you? Are they saying, well, what do you mean? No, I'm, I thought I was told to eat these amount of calories to lose weight. What are you finding with that? Is, is that what you're seeing a lot of? Yeah, I think the idea like calorie restriction as a diet is still a very popular diet or way of eating, especially to lose weight. The problem, there, there's a couple problems with that. First, I think it makes you a little bit neurotic because you're counting calories and obsessing over the calories and it's just not uh, a fun way. Like food is supposed to be nourishing. It's supposed to be, like we're supposed to be really calm and relaxed when we're eating because if we're stressed out when we're eating, like our, our digestion really like locks up, you know? Or when, you know, when you're stressed, sometimes you're like your gut, you're, it's just, it's not good. Stress is not good. So stressing about all the calories and measuring things out. I remember at a office I used to work at, they, like one girl would like literally like measure everything in these cups and weigh it. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know, and if it works, okay, fine. But I think that like, you don't have to do that. I think as long as you're choosing real whole foods, they have built in portion control, especially vegetables. Mm-hmm. Fiber is built in portion control. Yeah. You are never going to overeat broccoli or cauliflower because you literally, you will stop. You will feel full. Now that is in stark contrast to the Entenmann's cookies that I used to eat an entire box of or an entire like 12 inch Entenmann's cheese Danish because those are foods without breaks. There's no fiber. There's no nutrients. Your body is not registering it as food. And so you are just going to keep eating and eating and eating until it's literally gone. So 
focusing solely on calories, I think it's not the the best way. Mm -hmm. I think really focusing more on the quality, focusing on what makes you feel good is a better way to to change up your diet. Yeah. I mean, I think of it as as giving your body fuel mm-hmm. versus like fake fuel, right? That that real fuel is going to send out signals to your body to with its own innate intelligence to do what it needs to, to balance you what it needs to. And if you're not in a balanced weight, right. but you're eating really good phytonutrient foods, your body's going to go, oh, let's get him or her back to normal, back to our normal, what normal is. Exactly. And it's so important. It's crazy how there's there's no signals registering in our brain when we eat like a box of Enderman cook, Enderman's yeah. cookies because our body goes, is this food? I don't know what this is. But right. There's nothing to give it the signal to turn off hunger because mm-hmm. when you're hungry, your body's looking for nutrients. It's looking for energy and calories, which those foods do have, but they don't have the nutrients. They don't have the fiber. So you're not really going to feel satiated. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been um, a few studies on almonds in particular where they're looking at snack foods. So if you were to eat, let's say, 100 calories of almonds versus 100 calories of cookies, when you eat the cookies, even though they're the same amount of calories, they're not going to satiate you in any way. So when you go to have dinner later on, you're going to continue eating whatever you would eat normally. So at the end of the, the day, you'll end up with that extra 100 calories from the cookies, right? But if you eat 100 calories of almonds, Later on at your dinner, you're actually going to eat 100 calories less, not even realizing you're doing it. It's just your body feels satiated, so you end up actually with that, with that, you know, that at that normal level. Yeah, you know, your body is so amazing, and just what it can do is is mind blowing. I think we still can't even fully no, grasp no, how no, it works. Don't. No, we don't. And in medicine, I always question. I mean, we should, as naturopathic medicine or as doctors in general, why is disease arising? And is disease, quote unquote, something bad, or is it something that the body's expressing Mm -hmm. to ensure that it's still alive, right? Is disease the body's way of creating a new normal, Mm -hmm. right? Until we address giving the body what it needs and removing the obstacles to cure. So one thing I always tell my clients is that you need to be a body detective. And when you have an ailment, whether it's acne or digestive issues or a strange rash, whatever it is, you actually need to be grateful because that is your body's way of sending you an SOS that you need to change your diet or your lifestyle. So exactly. Yeah. Just last week, we, um, the show will be published on Monday, but we talked about, uh, relationships with our body, just like we have relationships with people, family, work people, we don't have a relationship with our body. So these cues where we're like, oh, I ask people, I'm like, how long have your digestive issues been going on? They're like, I don't know. It seems like forever. I was like, how not in touch are you with your body? Because if something's, if something's 10% off for me, I'm like, oh, wait, something's off. But you got to be in touch with your body. Well, be- you know, we're not taught how to be in touch with our body. And in fact, we're taught to entrust our body to someone else. Like I know when I was growing up, my mom would take us to the doctor literally anytime my brother or sister or I sneezed or coughed. Yeah. It was like straight to the doctor, right? Take yeah. a round of antibiotics, yeah. even if you don't have a bacterial infection. And so we're kind of taught her. I mean, I was taught like, you're sick, go to the doctor, do whatever the doctor tells you to do. So wh- why would I listen to my body? Like, I don't even know how to listen to my body. Yeah, not empowered enough thinking that right. it's outside of us. But having that knowledge is so important and that gratitude, mm-hmm. right? Oh, thank you for giving me that signal, right? Yes. It's like our body talks to us, but we don't listen. Right. And, you know, we have to really make peace with our body. And whenever we're embarking on a healthier way of eating or living, 
do it from a place of nourishing and doing it from a place of wanting to help our body versus beat it into submission. Mm -hmm. You know, that makes all the difference. When you feel like you're depriving yourself, you're never going to stick to healthy eating because you have this negative connotation around it. Whereas if you're really thinking, wow, I'm really nourishing my body. I'm so yeah. grateful. Uh, this food is going to fuel me and help me be healthier. That's when you'll actually stick to it. Yeah. So why not integrate a practice of before eating, saying something, right? And having a better relationship with food because taking 10 seconds of words and being like, I'm grateful for this food that's going to be nourishing. I'm blessed. Thank you for whatever, and then eating it, then it already energetically shifts that vibe with the food. Um, because people are driving and they're like looking at, you know, looking outside of the window, eating at the same time, putting on makeup, shaving, you know, like <laughs> that's not that. How do you think your body uh, acclimates those nutrients? Yeah, not right? very well when you're doing that. Really, you don't even chew. Exactly. Oh, that's another thing. People forget to chew. We just like chew twice and then swallow. Yeah. Which digestion really starts in our mouth. Yeah. And our saliva, our teeth start breaking the food down. So if you don't chew your food, that could actually be the start of your digestive issues is that you're not chewing your food enough and you're giving the rest of your digestive system a harder time. Yeah. One time I was eating and I looked up and this guy across the table reminded me of my bulldog that ate because... <laughs> He took like three <laughs> bites and swallowed. I go, how is this man eating like this? I'm like, he ain't breaking down nothing. Yeah. But um, you're right. It puts so much stress in our pancreas and our stomach and everything else in our body because um, we're just swallowing food. I always say like chew it till it's mush yeah. and then swallow it. Exactly. Right? But, but to chew it and be present with your food. Food tastes a lot better when you're not on your phone scrolling through Dr. G's page, right? You can't even taste the food. Like when, you, and look, I've been guilty of it too. When you're engrossed in something like your Instagram, and you do have an, in, an interesting Instagram, so I can see why people are engrossed in it, right? Or TV or reading a book or whatever, you're not even registering in. Like sometimes I, I've done that and then I'm like, wait, did I even eat any food? Yeah, yeah. What Or like the plate's done and be like, what did I just eat? Yeah. Did I eat beans or was that cauliflower? Right. Uh, you're right. You get, you know, the best meal I've ever had was an apple. And it was an apple on the way from New Jersey to New York, right? And actually we were going to the Union Square Farmer's Market. But I was alone in that that bus ride and I had this apple. I go, my phone died. Of course, because it's always, you know, I'm always yeah. on it. And I was like, what am I going to do now? So I just ate the apple and I took the time to be present. It took me about 30 minutes to eat an apple. The best meal I've ever had in my life. Why? Because I literally closed my eyes and was present with every single chew. Mm -hmm. It blew my mind. I yeah. was like, oh, is this how food tastes? It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And I've been guilty of not like going back there. But, you know. It's for, on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Uh, sometimes... Uh, it's hard to like it's stop and really speaking, savor yeah. it that much. But it is like when you savor a food, you taste flavors you've never tasted before. So one exercise sometimes I have my clients do if they don't eat very mindfully, especially like if they're eating at their desk and stuff like that. If you take an almond and you chew an almond like as you regularly would, which is probably two or three chews and then you swallow, and then you do it and you chew it until it's liquefied, like you said, mm you will taste an almond flavor that you have not tasted before. Mm. It's because your teeth, your your mouth mm. needs to start breaking the food down and you actually start experiencing other flavors that you wouldn't taste if you just chew yeah. and swallow quickly. Yeah, well, that's cool stuff. Yeah. It's so important. And so like, all right, listeners and viewers, I challenge you to first say something before you eat. Take some time and, you know, be grateful for your food. Take 10 seconds and then be present with your food, right? So yes. chew till mush. Chew till liquid. Yes. Right? And then swallow. And and just tell me if that meal's 
way better. Mm-hmm. No phones, no Lord, no, not Lord of the Rings. What's that? Great <laughs> Game of Thrones that everyone's yeah. watching. Um, and, and just be present. I have this friend who is really, like, she does everything very slowly and mindfully. And to watch her eat, she is literally, like, she's, like, in one of those commercials for, like, a chocolate <laughs> or something where she, yeah, like, her yeah. eyes are closed yeah. and, like... Oh, she's in it. Oh, she's, like, really in it. And, yeah, I mean, I don't think you need to go that far. But yeah. really, once in a while, try it, and you will be amazed. And you'll probably also be amazed that you'll only finish, like, a half of your plate or three-quarters of your crazy? plate because you're, you're just satisfied. Yeah, Ooh. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I got a message from someone on Instagram going, I finally switched to eating organic and we thought that it would be so much harder and so much more expensive. Mm-hmm. But then they're also finding that they're not overeating mm-hmm. on all that crap food. Mm-hmm. Right. So in, in essence, you're, you, it's it's equaling out as far as financially. Yeah. And it's sure. important. Right. Well, because again, because like food, like if you're going to compare a head of cauliflower, which sometimes like um, there's a little bit of a sticker shock for me when I'm like looking at a head of cauliflower and it's $5. I'm like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. But then you get home and you chop it up and you realize there's like 10 cups of cauliflower. Yeah. It could make so many meals, but it has all the fiber and nutrients that you need. So you are going to feel full and satisfied from it as opposed to those packaged foods, which maybe they're 99 cents a package, mm-hmm. but you're going to need a lot of those packages yeah, to feel full. Out. So uh, on the surface value, right? Mm-hmm. We just, we don't see that. One thing I will say is though, if you steam or cook spinach, you're going to get like <laughs> half a cup. Nothing. I don't understand that. I put a whole thing and I go, what, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, but that's the only caveat. Um, but yeah, making things practical. No, you can eat organic. Mm-hmm. You can do it on a budget, mm-hmm. um, following the clean 15 and knowing how to go up and down the grocery aisles after they get your guide. Yeah. Going to be so important. Um, what else? Like, what do you? What is? What is the number one thing that you want people to hear and to empower themselves with? Because it's all about empowerment, right? Yeah. It's, it's like accountability, and I'm going to be empowered. I think the number one most important change that anyone can make in their life is to simply fill their plate with 50% vegetables, even if they don't change anything else. That in and of itself will start to make an impact on their health, on their weight, on their mind, on their energy. And if you can just do that one simple thing, start with one meal a day, then do two meals a day, then heck, maybe try three. You know, you could get vegetables for breakfast. You can put them in like a veggie omelet or something, right? So start there. And I think that is really the most important thing we can do. Okay. So you heard it. That is the most important thing we can do. If you're not at, if you're at 41% or 49%, go up 1%, get 50%, (laughs) fill up your plate with vegetables, get all the colors of the rainbow if you can, right? So important. And um, thank you for all your words. Thank you for teaching us. Um, We got to get that guide to every one of my patients. Yeah, real food grocery guide. How can someone find you on Instagram? Yes, on Instagram, um, at Maria Marlowe, and Marlowe is M-A-R-L-O-W-E, and my website is mariamarlowe.com, where I have tons of healthy recipes, plant-based recipes, meal plans, and an online nutrition and cooking course. Yeah, get on it. I did a podcast with her. It was amazing. She has amazing podcasts, too. You have your own podcast show. What's the name of it? Yes, it's called Happier and Healthier. And you will feel happier and healthier if you listen. Yes, and uh, you have to listen to the, my episode with Dr. G. I loved it. It was one of my favorite <laughs> podcasts. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Okay. All right, that was an amazing, amazing conversation. I really love when a guest can just give us take-homes, like wrap it up and just 
put it into a little nice package and we can open it and take it home and intervene and use it as of today or as of tomorrow morning. And I love that she was able to do that. And that's the whole point, really. I'm bringing in guests here so we can make interventions to better our mind, our body, and our soul. And doing it ASAP and doing it easily. So I really hope you enjoy the show. Rate, review, subscribe, support us. We're growing, we're booming. So uh, yeah, much love to you all. Have a wonderful week and we are out. Thank you.